All right. Well, hello there and welcome to the Deadly Analysis Podcast. Uh, if you're new to this podcast, this is a place where we, how do I put it? We, we hack away at, at the fear and philosophy of good horror films. We, we get to the meat of the issue of what makes a movie scary. And we treat horror films as vehicles of the informative, mirroring our collective anxieties. And so we discuss those anxieties as a kind of entertaining catharsis. Uh, so do that with us tonight. Cathard with us. That's not a word. Release that inner monster with us tonight uh, as we as we go through uh, a, a unbelievably brutal horror film uh, called I Saw the Devil. So I'm here tonight um, with Ben, uh, Ben Carruth, Shayra, and Jim, and we're going to be discussing, like I said, the 2010, I think it's 2010 Korean horror film, I Saw the Devil. Last week, it was, you know, I Saw Payment, pretty much like with Hereditary. And this week, we've upgraded to I Saw the Devil. Uh, who knows what it'll be next week? I don't know how you can go higher than the devil. You know, maybe it's like I Saw Ann Coulter. I don't know. So let's talk about I Saw the Devil. Um, this movie uh, is third time I've seen it. I think Shayra's seen it three times. I don't know how many times Ben and Jim have seen it. Um, but uh, this movie just gets worse for me every time I see it. Not like the film is bad, just more graphic and intense than I, I expected. And I've seen it three times. It's like, I, I know what to expect, but every time I watch it, I'm still taken back and kind of grossed out and it hits me um, in a lot of different ways each time I, I watch it. So hopefully we'll kind of explore some of the reasons why that is and how this is different than a typical revenge film. So um, I Saw the Devil begins pretty much on a dark road in what's a very uh, like noir style opening where a taxi driver named Kyung Chul comes across a, a female motorist, a scared female motorist stranded in a broken down vehicle. So he pulls over to help her, uh, help her. Uh, but instead of doing that, he actually kills her and hacks her into pieces. That's, you know, that's what taxi drivers knew nowadays. Now that we have Uber, that's, that's, if you get in a taxi, there's a 73% chance you're just going to get hacked. Um, so when this woman's uh, head is discovered in a local river, her devastated fiance, Kim Su, uh, a trained secret agent, becomes obsessed, let's say, with hunting down her killer. Uh, once he finds Kyung Chul, things get, um, I want to say twisted, really twisted. Uh, after brutally beating up the murderer, uh, he sets him free. And then what begins is this very demented game of cat and mouse. Um, and that's that's essentially the rest of the film. And I think at that point, it's like only halfway through the film when he first catches him and releases him. Um, so to me, this film can be summed up in that famous Nietzschean aphorism, anyone who fights with monsters should be sure, should make sure that he does not in the process become a monster himself. You know, Kim Su in this movie becomes something other in the process of avenging his fiance. And um, as much as this movie grosses me out, I think it's really a work of art. I mean, it has some of the most quality cinematic and practical effects, especially for a, a recent film, um, particularly during its sequences of violence and gore. I mean, this is a brutally graphic film. It's on the level with Saw and with Hostel, but without like the kind of voyeur element that those films have. There, there's a sense in which I think we go see movies like Saw because we primarily want to experience new ways of the grotesque, right? New torture traps, new ways to die. And there's a kind of voyeuristic element to that. But this movie isn't like that. This movie shows us pretty much the same level of ultraviolence, but its emphasis is somewhere on the inside, right? Inside of a man, between two men. The violence takes us somewhere, right? Um, and we're, we're not 
watching this movie, you know, we're not looking at the curiosity of jaw exploding traps or acid showers. We're, we're looking right into the heart of two people and the capacity for human brutality. And I think that um, that separates this movie from a lot of other movies, a lot of American horror films. And I think that that look inward gives, gives the film a, a palpable quality. Um, it allows you to feel kind of the full range of human emotion. And, and we'll see that in this film, right? There's uh, sorrow in this movie. There's deep emotional pain and there, there's rage and there's malice. There's this broad spectrum of human emotion within the context of revenge. Um, and the brutality isn't just the trap snapping shut, right? It's, it's contextualized by a heart turning black, which I think it makes it, um, makes it a horror film to be discussed. Um, so to me, uh, you know, this movie becomes, like the moment this movie becomes really frightening for me is when the cat and mouse game becomes like the focus, uh, e even at the expense of additional lives that are being lost. Um, that's, that's where I think something fundamental creeps in for me. That's where I start to see this as not just like another South Korean revenge flick, right? Um, you know, Kim Soo catches Kyung Chul barely an hour into the movie, about an hour and 20 into the movie, but he lets him go, again, resulting in many more people dying. And so through this, through this whole process, we see the kind of erosion of a person, uh, a person. I could feel my own sympathy for Kim Soo, like degrading, like my empathy for the protagonist was degrading as the film progressed to the point where I felt like it was it was legitimate to ask the question, are these two characters even fundamentally different anymore, right? It was like um, a competition in human depravity between two people. Um, so, uh, you know, this movie poses, I think, I, I hope, and we'll hopefully explore some of these, um, interesting questions to the viewer about the nature and maybe futility of revenge, uh, the capacity for empathy and for violence. It's, it's, it's uh, both a bloodbath and a morality play to a certain extent. Um, and uh, to do both of those things well in the same film, to me, is is a real challenge. And I think this film did it exceedingly well. So uh, before I go any further, before I go off on tangents, I'm always going off on tangents here. Uh, this was Ben's selection this week. Uh, in case you don't know what we do, is we each select a well-made horror film that scares us or that we enjoy or that we like, that we just feel there's a cinematic quality to them that we want to discuss and explore. This week's uh, film was Ben's. So I'll just kind of kick this off by throwing it over to Ben and asking, you know, uh, why did you select this movie? Um, why did you pick this one for the podcast? Take it away, Ben. Uh, well, I was I was very gratified when in the preamble you said that uh, this is a movie that the more you see it, the worse it gets. Um, uh, because that's, uh, you remember my last recommendation was Triangle. Um, that's kind of my idiom. Um, and absolutely, the more you, the more you look at this movie, the more it, um, the more it uh, unsettles, uh, the more it unseats. Um, I love this movie because it takes a lot of the revenge flick uh, genre tropes, turns them on its head. Uh, it does that in obvious ways. It does that in very subtle ways as well. Um, camera language is integral to how we uh, how we perceive these characters. And this film, in the way that uh, the camera relates to a given character, changes through the arc of the film, is almost a film school lesson in how you can manipulate audience interpretation and emotional integration of the character's actions based on how you frame them, uh, how you have them enter and exit frame, uh, and where you put the cuts in their action. Uh, from a technical and artistic perspective, and especially the technical 
serving the artistic, the thematic. I, it's one of my favorite movies. Yeah, I noticed that there were a decent amount of cutaways to Kyung Chul um, in moments where I didn't expect it. Like the one of the few things from that, that the sort of, I'm not really good at catching the camera stuff. I didn't go to film school. I, none of that is in my brain. But one of the things I noticed in this movie was whenever there was a, um, we'll think of like the, the violent sequence between the, the two, pro, I'm going to call them the two protagonists because I, I, I don't want to say protagonist, antagonist, like I, the two protagonists. So whenever they're fighting, um, there are these particular sequences where I'm expecting to see a moment of action or or something other than a close-up on Kyung Chul's face and his emotion. And this gets this gets heavier by the end of the film, obviously. But um, there was a kind of, I felt like I was trying to be, like someone was trying to manipulate my empathy to move from one character to the other, maybe back and forth. And it, it was a little weird. I, I I don't know if that happens much in American cinema, if it's a if it's a, a large piece of Korean cinema, but I did feel like it was unexpected at times when I'd be thinking I'm gonna see a, a particular sequence of violence and then it cuts to a, a person's face and their reaction and their emotion. You know, I, I just thought that was, it happened so often in this two and a half hour movie that uh, it kind of, it became obvious to me, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah. oh, I was going to ask Ben a question real quick. Uh, when you speak about the cutaways and whatnot, are, one of the things I noticed, and I, I'm wondering if this is what uh, what you're referring to, is that often you don't see the effects of the violence. You just see the violence. I'm thinking um, specifically of what we'll call the nutcracking scene. And uh, I, I, I remember that they, they show the nutcracking, but they don't actually show too much of the man screaming as a result of it. And then later on, we get um, him in the hospital. Uh, is that is that part of what you're referring to when you talk about the uh, the cuts and the, the film language that, that you were talking about earlier, Ben? Uh, that's that's part of it. Um, but that's also part of, uh, part of the ways in which I feel like the way that uh, I saw the devil relates to its violence um, is uh, atypical of, and in some ways a response to, the movies that Noah was referencing earlier, uh, Saw, Hostel, um, but American cinema in general, uh, there's there's been a trend toward the lingering violent act um, and the violent act as framed and al almost, well, surreally slowed down. Like uh, in American cinema, it's, it's not enough anymore that Uh, I have to look at the nail and now. Yeah, I think we may have, I think he's, he's cutting in and out. Yeah, I, uh, I, well, I, I think I'll pick up on, uh, the, the point that I think. Ben uh, was and there are, oh, there he is. Uh, you cut away for a second there, Ben. Just like, just as you were talking about cutaways, you cut away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. uh, tell me about the nail again. Uh, I okay. think that's the last thing that we uh, we got from you. Well, uh, yeah, the, the reductio ad absurdum, and let me see if I can. Okay, so if, if I broke, uh, I break a nail in American cinema, we're going to punch in on a fingernail, breaking, possibly in slow-mo. And then for the reaction, it's going to be sitting in the center of the frame. I'm going to be sitting over here. Um, we're going to react to it. Then we're going to cut to you reacting to it. Then we're going to cut to Shaver reacting to it. Then we're going to go back to the nail so that the audience doesn't forget what we're all freaking out about. Um, 
that's that has been the the vector since the late seventies um, in how in in how we look at uh, violent actions in American cinema. And there have been some swings of the pendulum in the other direction, um, like uh, the way Cronenberg's recent stuff represents violence. He kind of set set a new trend with uh, a history of violence and Eastern promises. Um, but a Korean, um, a Korean film, uh, and this is where I think I saw the devil is responding to Eastern and Western cinematic tropes. Uh, there was a uh, there was a, a trend uh, toward um, everything leading up to the violence is very stylized. The classic. Uh, uh, the classic Zadoichi moment, the two samurai, um, pause, 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 quick cross, pause, 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 and maybe we tip down to catch a little bit of blood. Like, uh, the inviolence is almost entirely implied. So, in, in some ways, I think, uh, I think they are responding to, um, that Eastern filmmaking tendency to just shy away from the violence entirely. Um, all frame, no portrait. Um, uh, and, uh, the Western tendency to slow everything down, to make such a ridiculous meal of it, um, that you're disconnected from the fact that this actually happened really fast. So I, I feel like they're, yeah, using one skewer to pin, to poke a hole in two opposing cinematic sensibilities. Well, actually that was something that you know, my family and I, we talk about because we watch a lot of weird Korean drama shows and I don't know why we're into Korean stuff, but uh, we watch a lot of it. And um, we notice like this difference in the storyline. I'm sure we've talked about this on the show before, but in, in Western, there's like this ooh building uh, with Korea. It's like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa. And so you keep feeling comfortable and then you're like, what the fuck just happened now? It just keeps uh, it keeps you on your toes and there's really no settling. It tries to make you feel settled so it can fuck you up more. And, um, and it just keeps going and going and going. And this film in particular does this so well. Because there's times where you're like, yeah, he's got that motherfucker. Woo! And then all of a sudden you're like, oh shit. He's way in over his head. Oh no, everyone's fucked. Everything's fucked. And then it, it just keeps on going back and forth. And um, I, I think there's a lot that Western filmmakers could learn from a film like this, you know, how to just keep us on the edge of our seat throughout the whole entire film, not in that slow build way, which I do love. I do love the Hitchcockian slow build, you know, suspense stuff. But this is kind of fun too, because you're like, you never know what's going to happen next. It's a crazy roller coaster ride. Well, the other thing that this did, this reminds me exactly of our Train to Busan episode, where one of the things, and I think, Ben, it was you who said this, that we have this, like, capacity in the West to ironicize grief and pain, in especially in particular zombie sequences in American zombie films. This film had exactly that same sort of bend in it, too, with, a, it, say, an ultra-violent movie. I mean, the, the beginning of the movie is this very almost romantic, emotional scene. There are sequences of sorrow and grief e e interspersed in, with sequences of violence, like, 
there are, it, it's that Shera up and down thing, right? There's, uh, it, I mean, think of the end of the movie, right? Think, of, I, I hate to go straight to the end, but let's do that just for like one second. Let's think of when Kim Su brings Kyung Chul's family over, opens the door, gets beheaded, and we see him walking off. We don't see someone who, we don't have that cathartic release, right? That we would get in a typical revenge film. It's sad. The movie ends with an incredibly somber, you know, sensibility. And I, I, I don't know, like that just seems odd to me as an American movie watcher to think of such an unbelievably violent film that has the sorts of sequences that are in this movie. And then to feel also like this is part of reality. Like I, I feel like it's separated in movies like Hostel or Saw. Like I feel more, more uh, much more of a viewer sunken into my couch, right? I, I feel just, I don't feel as attached. In this movie, I felt really attached and it felt like it was just like Train to Busan where I, I I had a moment of awkwardness where I'm like, this is this is different for me. I don't watch many Korean films at all. Um, the ultra-violent movies that I'm used to tend are, are almost all American, maybe French, Belgian, but they're European, they're not Korean. And uh, this just feels awkward to me, but it's a good awkward. It makes me go, hey, this is how I should be looking at violence. I should be looking at violence contextualized in a way that that humanizes it, that makes it real, that isn't just this, you know, hilarious blood fest, you know, that's detached from human capacities, like emotion and empathy and love and sorrow. Like there's malice when you hit someone in the fucking nuts with, a, with anything, <laughs> you know, so... I noticed that in this movie like I did in Train to Busan. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that that touches on the ethics of not only the, the creation of the film, but our watching of the film. Um, I find myself ethically torn when I watch films like Saw and, and some of the latter Halloween films and Friday the 13th films and, and the slasher genre as a whole, because really it's just violence porn. It's... it's um, it's getting some sort of catharsis out of the uh, destruction of the human body. And it reminds me, like all of this reminds me of a, one of my favorite David Foster Wallace quotes, which is, we're so relentlessly set up to, to approve the villain's bloody punishment in the climax that we might as well be wearing togas. And that, that quote, it, 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 it contextually, it, it expresses so much of what I hate about the violence porn in many of the horror films. And I was geared up to hate this film from the very beginning. As soon as I saw, I mean, it, it, the revenge films as a genre normally have this structure where if you see something incredibly brutal and awful in the beginning, then the the level of brutal and awful at the beginning is directly related to the level of brutal and awful that will uh, will happen for the next hour and 30 minutes. And so after seeing a woman get dismembered and, and decapitated and um, all of that shit and, and tortured and and raped, like all of that, all of that set me up to believe that the the rest of this film was going to be absolutely disgusting and violent, and I was gonna I was going to dislike it on an ethical level. Um, that it's not only in unethical for me to watch this film, it's or not only unethical for this film to be made, but it's unethical for me to watch this film because it's trying to make me delight in that kind of violence, and I don't want to do that. Um, but the scene that changed it for me was there's a scene 
between the sister, the father, and the protagonist, where they they say, look, we know what you're doing and you should stop it. That's not a scene that happens in Death Wish 2. Like that's not in Eli Roth's Death Death Wish 2. Like that's not a scene that happens in and I know Death Wish 2 hasn't been made, but you you get the idea. Um, it's not a scene that happens in those American cinemas that we're reacting against. And that was the moment when I knew that I was dealing with something that had a much more nuanced ethical view of revenge film and revenge as a construct. And uh, I, 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 that's what, that's the reason that I was able to attach myself to the characters for the rest of the film. If that scene hadn't been in there, I would have probably kept looking for reasons to dislike it. Uh, this, I, I saw The Devil has my hands down, no comparison. And if for no other reason, this is why I recommended this film. Best victim introduction sequence ever. Hands down, no comparison. Um, before you even realize that girl is in danger, you are in love with her. You are ready to watch the rom-com that she stars in. You are ready for her to have an awkward, bad day based on misunderstood communication with this boyfriend that she's texting to in these adorable idioms. She matters. They And he make... thinks to her, too. Yes, you're absolutely right. <laughs> She matters. The first death in the movie is not, and this isn't just a Western thing. Korean horror films have meat sack number seven, stroll in, deliver a line, and then get their head chopped in half. Um, that's, that's not just a Western problem. It's the genius of this film that before, I, before it even occurs to me that this woman is in danger, I am ready to follow her right up to the credits. I am ready for her to be the, the protagonist. And when she dies, I care. Um, I care profoundly. I was as bereaved as I was horrified when I saw her. And that makes the dismemberment more than, hey, here's a gross thing. It was that hand. Oh, my God. I saw that hand. I, I, felt, like, I felt like I was her fiancé. Um, because I have emotional associations with, and this is again where, where the camera work comes in. We look at that hand on the phone. We look at those fingers before, when, when everything's still in its proper order, we see her and her life in its proper order before Chul comes and tears that order apart. Yeah, I wonder, you know, I wonder why I... It, it, like we have this kind of pound of flesh mentality over here that may play a, a big factor in some of the way these movies are shot, the way that they're delivered, the, the the characters, the way that they're expressed and introduced. I maybe you guys can speak to that more than I can. I, I know you know living in the United States, especially living in Texas, um, we 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 love to get our pound of flesh. It's it's uh, it's built into our justice system. And I wonder if um, if that focus is uh, you know sort of feeds its way into our cinema to to some extent. I, I hope that makes sense. I, I'm wondering like why there is this difference. I, I'd be I, I it makes me feel better to know that there are other. I mean, surely there's other Korean horror films that that don't do this, but it's cool to see any film that does. It just so happens to be two in a row, two Korean films in a row that do it, 
and I'm starting to, I'm just starting to feel weird about it. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't know what to do when, and, and that's crazy to me that I don't know what to do when confronted with a scene that feels like a rom-com that ends in hostile. <laughs> like, I feel like I should be equipped to watch that and not feel odd uh, or feel um, that that should feel normal because that when someone does get brutally tortured and hacked, like there, that's what's happening. It shouldn't be something where I go, oh, teenage, you know, teenage um, meat, meatbag seven. Let's go with that for us tonight. You know, meatbag seven is getting, meatbag one gets hacked to death. And I've seen that a thousand times in American horror films, but in this one, I watched it and I felt strange about it. It made me feel weird. Like, I don't know. I, I don't well, know. It, it might have something to do with how they tell stories though, because um, there's a particular show. I can't remember the exact name of it. It's like strong girl bong soon or something like that. Uh, Kylie and I like to watch it together. Um, this girl is, she's really super strong. It passes down from her family. Right. Uh, and the first show is an hour and a half long, so it's movie length. Uh, you have these crazy kooky characters. Ha ha ha! Look at us in our town. Kooky kind of music playing. Everything's happy. Look how cute my phone is. My car's so cute. Everything's so cute. Then all of a sudden, death and destruction. Here's a criminal investigation. There's cops coming. What the fuck is happening? Oh, now all of a sudden it's a mystery. Let's try to solve this clue thing. And it just keeps bouncing around from genre to genre. And by the time the hour and a half is over, you're like, did I just, am I 10 years older now? What the fuck just happened to me? Um, they don't get trapped in one genre. Yeah, it's complex. It's purposefully right. complex and it's done well. And it know? makes it human. It makes it real. It makes it more fucked up when the fucked up stuff happens because that's what literally happens in life. You'll be walking along, having a good old time. And then all of a sudden shit hits the fan and you're it's like- those taxi drivers, I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, right? much better. it's much more ethical to watch a film in which there are real people who you get to feel the real consequences of violence rather than something stylized like what Ben was describing earlier with the, the finger and the blah, blah, blah. Like that is that stylized violence, making violence look beautiful. Um, that said, this film is gorgeous. Like it's gorgeously shot. But it's it's not relishing in the violence in the same way some of these uh, American American cinema is doing. I mean, I'll even indict some of the comic book movies. Um, the The Marvel films are some of the most brutal, violent films with the highest body count that grossed a billion dollars. Yet, because there's no blood, there's no consequences. It's just removing characters from the plot. In this case, you actually get to, like, the fact that characters get removed from the plot has real human consequences. And I find, and yeah, De Noah mentions in the chat, Deadpool. Deadpool makes a joke out of violence. And one of the weaknesses of Deadpool 2 was that it makes a joke out of violence throughout the entire movie, but then also tries to have it both ways by telling me that violence has consequences. And that's just... It's a that's a mixed message kind of film, whereas this one is is really honest about what violence does to both the victim and the perpetrator, um, and, and it's uh, that it's really one of the strengths of the film, and it's why the film 
for me is actually it's an ethical portrayal of violence as opposed to uh to deadpool 2 um but there's an honesty to this film that that makes you um upset with yourself at times for instance um you have this cannibal asshole he's a piece of fucking shit fuck this guy he's eating people he's a bad bad person uh and he's introduced as a very bad person uh but there's a, a scene where you know the main good guy slams i think it's a screwdriver into his hand and the blood oozes out nice and slow like but the real fucked up part is you you see all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes we go cut back to this guy with a screwdriver stuck in his hand and you see him try to go for the handle to try to pull it out of his hand and he keeps on yanking at it you hear the noises and and then all of a sudden it makes a comedy sound where the the handle comes off and you know what that means he's gonna have to figure out how to go all the way up that metal bar and you're laughing you are laughing at this horrific violent thing and you're just like ha ha that's what you get you asshole and it happens again with the same character where he's laughing about the wife being raped he's like ha ha she got pleasure before she got killed ha ha and the guy's just like, oh, you think that's funny? And he takes his mouth and rips it open like, you're going to have a permanent smile, motherfucker. And you are it's so gruesome. And you're laughing. You're like, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know if Jim was laughing. Was laughs in this. Yeah. I laughed so I'm sorry, Shira, but I, I was not going to get... There wasn't a, a but, moment in this film where I started laughing. Maybe okay, so... I, I laughed my ass off. Yeah, I, I want to defend... So someone in the chat said, uh, Kat said, I literally laughed when the top popped off. And, and I actually did too, but here's the difference. And I, I don't entirely know why. I laughed at maybe two sequences in this film. That was one of them, two or three, and that was one of them. But I still felt like it didn't take away the depth for me. Do you know what I mean? It didn't make me, it, um, it wasn't like Evil Dead style slapstick horror chainsaw. Like it was a, an incredibly brutal scene, but I still, it was that was cathartic. Maybe I'll put it that way. Like the little hints of those things were a little cathartic because it took me out of like, just I, I, the movie made me extremely tense, you know, but it, I feel like, so let's, if this was an American scene, right? The it, the top pops off, you know, he's going to have to put his hand up. I feel like in the background, they'd be playing, I'm all the way up, I'm all the way, you know what I mean? Like they'd be playing, like, it'd be, it would be so ironicized. So it would sound so insane. Um, you know what I mean? It would be disconnected so heavily. So I, I gave that a pass and I, I actually, I thought it was funny. I laughed. It's probably one of the only times. I, I went into paramedic mode. I was like, <laughs> all right, I don't want to this. this is like, all right, make sure you stabilize the object, remove it. Yeah. Like I, I did not, I did not find anything funny. Um, and, but that I think it goes to our individual relationships with irony, um, whether or not like how we relate with I, the ironicism of violence as portrayed in film is is really telling about us as audience members, but also us as a culture and the culture that produced the film. A, a, a culture that produces a film that always ironicizes violence is going to be more apt to treat it um lightly to is going to be more apt to uh to not care about the real human consequences of that violence and uh that's why that's why i keep talking about the ethics of the production and the the viewing of this film 
Um, because I think that's, for me, that's the most important point. I feel dirty when I go into American films that sens um, centralize and sensationalize violence um, because it says something really damning about our culture. Uh, and I'm, I was happy to see a, a Korean film that's not making, that's not doing the same thing. Yeah, that's very interesting because I, um, I, I, while you were saying that, I was thinking, Jim, um, that Eli Roth film uh, about the Amazon, um, Green, Green Inferno, I think that's what it is. Yeah, Green Inferno. I, I had a real like ethical dilemma with that movie because I, uh, I, a couple friends wanted to go see it. I was out of town and I was like, I, I, I know what it's going to be. I totally know, but I'm also kind of interested. So I had that like, I want, I know it's going to be brutal and it's Eli Roth and I, so I want to see what happens. But then I was like, fuck, man, I don't want to. Like why I don't want to think that way. It's I I had like a real I had a real struggle with going to see it. I eventually did go see it and I, I hated it and I felt bad for even going to see it just because I I found I found myself wanting to know what's going to happen to this person, what's going to happen to that person, and that's cheap to me. We'll get aside from the ethics of it. It's just cheap. It's cheap. It's like it's like you know when you go to McDonald's and you get two fucking you know cheeseburgers and fries, you're gonna have a stomach ache after, likely, right? Like it, you it, you. It tastes great like this, and you're like, oh, why did I, what, oh, why did I, it's not quality. So just aside from the ethics of it, I felt like it was cheap. Those sorts of things are cheap. This felt real. It was, it had a palpable quality, um, and it was a complex horror film. But man, I'll tell you what, take the sequences, and I'm sure this is on YouTube because all of these things are always on YouTube. Take any one of those violence sequences, like take the taxi cabs that we've been shitting all over the taxi. We shouldn't do that. I, now that I'm thinking about it, the taxi guy, he was being all nice and then he ends up dying. Should stop shitting on taxi drivers. That scene was, when I first saw it, was so unbelievably intense to me, that sort of Matrix 360 style, one take stabbing. I That was, uh, I've never seen a, a, a horror sequence like that. Um, Beautifully, beautifully shot, but that guy was an asshole. He was uh, a person who stole a car and the taxi cab yeah. driver was in the trunk. So I guess he deserved it. And I think there's a lot of that element to this film. Like, well, they deserved it. I guess it's okay. But that that scene for me, in a lot of movies, they don't stab enough times. And I, I know that sounds really disgusting when I say it that way, but uh, most movies don't understand that stabbing needs multiple to kill. And it understood that and it beautifully orchestrated that. I know Ben probably really wants to talk about this scene. It's probably his favorite scene. So I'm going to, I'm going to let him talk more about it. Oh, I, I was just, I was just going to say like, uh, right, right there, right there with you. My, my most, I won't say satisfying, but burned into my brain on screen, uh, on screen kill. Basically, no apparent. You know, there's no gore to it at all. Um, it's the prison shanking from Breaking Bad. Um, three people rush in, pa 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 pa, run away, and the guy's dead. The whole thing plays out in about two and a half seconds. Um, and and it's jarring it's again it's burned into my brain i can it is the the metric against which i compare any on-screen kill that i'm um <laughs> that that i'm watching or planning for that matter um and uh i i just want to get back to we've been talking about the the moral narrative our our moral relationship um 
Oh yeah, uh, Jim. I um, maybe we can cut this bit out if it's not relevant. Um, uh, I I work in uh, special makeup effects for film. That's that's what I do. Um, so uh, our household, okay. yeah, frequently involves conversations. Thank you. I was like, I, he's planning kills. Uh, but yeah, okay, that um, makes more. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Yeah, uh, and for new listeners as well, perhaps. Yeah, for new for new listeners as well. By the way. When I'm talking about, you know, the kills I'm planning, I'm talking about paying my mortgage, one, and two, pretend. That's what he wants us to think. That's pretend, what he wants us to think. Pretend. Um, uh, but uh, yes, uh, we've, we've been talking about uh, our the moral praxis between us, the audience, and the, the film itself, um, hinting a little bit at the one between the narrative and the people who were telling it. Um, but I, I think the... Uh, and Shayra, you've been you've been talking about um, uh, talking about this a lot. The the moral equivalencies, the moral breaks that the film seems to be giving, like oh, the, this this cab driver wasn't actually a cab driver; they were a kidnapper, so they deserve what they got. Um, uh, and uh, at the same time, we were t we've been talking about uh, the the moral decay um, of Kim Soo Hyun uh, throughout the course of the film. I think there's an interesting question to be to be had there. Um, are we actually looking at moral decay? Is he actually becoming darker as the film goes on, or is this more of an unmasking? Um, and the reason that I ask that is that uh, Kim Soo is a. Um, we don't know exactly what he does as an agent. Uh, as a as an intelligence agent, we don't exactly know what his job is, but in the course of the movie, we get a pretty good picture of what he's good at. Um, is question uh, point one, um, and he is good at torture, and he is good at violence, and he is good at coming up with, um, if if we were if if he he is more like Jigsaw the jigsaw killer than any other character in this movie. Um, he's the guy building the elaborate mousetrap death machines, not Chul. Um, so we know what he's good at. That's, huh, that raises a question. Um, two, this isn't a government that's exactly got a sterling human rights record. So what makes me think that you may be onto something is aren't there a couple sequences even early on where... Um... Uh, not Kim Su, but uh, the, the man he's pursuing, I, I don't want to keep butchering his name, but uh, he refers to him as like a sick bastard and a sick son of a bitch. And then also the cannibal is like, dude, you, this guy's like you. Like, and that's not that far into the film, you know? So it's almost like it's, the, yeah, there is, a, I mean, that's the, I think that may be one of the central questions of the movie is this just uh, un unmasking a capacity that was already, there. well, definitely the capacity. It's is the all, most important there. part of the film because yeah. a lot of people, have interpreted the um, getting revenge guy as don't become the monster. This one was like, I think he already was way more of a monster. And then you have to ask a question like, is he even more of a monster? And, and they keep on hinting at this throughout the film. It keeps on happening. You keep having like, for instance, when, you know, he's all beaten up and bloody after, you know, been walking on the side of the road, a taxi cab happens by. You think there's some nice guys. You think they're victims of his shit, but then you find out they're just as garbage. 
who's the monster? All. Maybe everyone. Maybe we're all fucked. Maybe even the dad who got his head smashed in with a weight. Maybe even he has a background, you know, as chief of police for that long. Maybe he even has a background as a monster. How far does it go? And the only one we know that seems to be pretty innocent, they seem to be the women, honestly. <laughs> like, so here's like, here's you know, my, here's what makes me wonder. Here's what makes me wonder about that interpretation, though. Um, is so how okay? So if we if we ask that question, we need to think about the ending sequence that I alluded to earlier because Kim Sue breaks down at the end. There's a rec there's some recognition happening here. That I mean, do we want to say that that same sort of recognition happened in Kyung Chul? I don't, I don't think so. I think Kyung Chul's admonishment at the end is, "Let me, well, let me die first. Just kill me, kill me, kill me, and then let me live, please. I want to live." He really doesn't go much further than that. I don't think, right? Whereas at least with Kim Soo, there's, I, I saw that last scene as a kind of recognition of the futility of his revenge, um, which, I mean, maybe. Maybe that's not real morality. Maybe maybe that's maybe even that's I'm not satisfied in the way that I think is sufficient. I, maybe you could cut it both ways. I don't know. What do you? How do you make sense of that ending sequence if we ask that question? Well, for me, one of the things that I was paying attention to, and then I I I latched onto often was how often uh, Kim Su um, called people insane. Um, called people crazy or psychopaths or or whatever, which you know he's got to be the best psychologist ever, psychiatrist ever to be able to make these uh, these these uh, clinical diagnoses. And uh, so, you know, I say that sarcastically. And what and the reason I'm saying it sarcastically is because I think that I think that calling someone crazy is a way to dehumanize them, is a way to separate them from the from the rational. And by dehumanizing all of the people he kills, it is, I think, his way of suggesting that he is still human, that there is still a part of him that is that is rational and thoughtful and that he's doing this for what he believes is a good reason. Um, that breakdown scene, I think, is a recognition of his own cruelty and the way that he the ways he might have slipped into um, insanity. Uh, and I use insanity in, in quotes because I, you know, I, I'm having trouble with the way some of these horror films are, are depicting mental illness as, as, uh, as, as, as leading to violence. And so I think that his tears at the end, He's he didn't just kill the guy. He killed the guy in the most cruel way possible by making his son watch the guy watch Chul's head roll in front of his feet. That's that's not rational or human. That's not that is to use the film's terms insane. But uh, uh, but uh, I know uh, you so, want to say something. Yeah, now. sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm like ah. Uh, but like the recognition of his cruelty, he's the only character that has that between the right. Uh, it, I mean, see that it, to me, that's what separated him. I granted all the insane, crazy, psychopathic shit he I does, agree. but he recognizes at the end. He seems to be the only character who recognizes his own cruelty. Does that not separate him? I agree that it does. That's that's okay. what I'm saying. Okay, is that it. It does separate him um, until the end when, uh, well, yeah, I think it does separate him because he recognizes it. Yeah, even at the end. For what I think is a lost humanity. Okay, yeah, I'm right on board.
but I, I don't think it is. I, I, I absolutely agree with that with that interpretation. But I don't think his humanity was lost um, while the camera was rolling. Um, uh, I, I think. You think it was prior to the start of this film. You think that he was always was he just like faking humanity? Uh, you know, throughout the. The I first think, 15 minutes of the film, or what, how do you? I think, how do you? I think we didn't see him that? do anything in service of revenge in the course of this movie that he hasn't done in service of the state. Okay, right. that's interesting. I mean, as a as a filmmaker, though, they're showing us this A to B. Like, mm -hmm. I wonder. Like, I, I if I if. If I were a filmmaker and I were um, deliberately trying to key into the interpretation that you're proffering, I would have shown a sequence at the beginning where he was just whipping some ass I, and I then singing I, to his girlfriend uh, in the middle of that. I, but I think you disagree. I disagree. I disagree um, because I think the bre uh, I think the filmmaker did give us a lot of breadcrumbs to come to that conclusion. Um, when he uh, when he is. Uh, 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 when he is interacting with police at the crime scene um, and uh, all the way up through the funeral sequence, uh, when we first find out his profession, their reaction is not um, respect, it is fear. Um, the people surrounding him regard him with fear. We do not see him interact with anybody that is not afraid of him. And in even though the fiance's like dad, uh, which was a very heartfelt scene on the bench. I almost feel like he was holding, he like, they ended up holding hands and he's just like, I know what you're going to do. And I get it. Oh God. Oh, yeah. Are really going down this fucking rabbit hole. And I think he knew. Really going <laughs> down this rabbit hole again. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure they've been through some shit. <laughs> yeah. He knew him and he knew what was going to happen. <laughs> and nobody was surprised. And nobody was surprised. In fact, they had like an entourage of guys that were like, all right, we got to stop this motherfucker again. Yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> and and they and they don't, right? So you know what? That What's interesting is that makes sense of the thing that I, I had a question about, which is at a certain point, it's the onus is on the police to stop this guy. But there is a kind of fear like in the, <laughs> they don't stop him at many instances where they could. I thought that was strange, but I guess maybe a fear from the beginning from the get-go sort of explains that um yeah i don't think anybody wants to get in that motherfucker's way <laughs> yeah yeah you, you see so you, you see the the grieving fiance at the crime scene of uh why hasn't that guy been removed why is he here at the crime scene the brutal murder of his fiance he shouldn't be here. oh he's oh fuck and you really oh. see that element of himself when the uh his future father-in-law got attacked. You see him going through a crime scene and he's just kicking everyone's fucking ass just to find out. All he was trying to do is find out information and yet he's kicking everyone's ass. Yeah, he, he immediately went tried, to Yeah. He would have tried to be, be like, hey, uh, I'm a cop. Can I come in? I just want to see some. No, he just went in fucking killing and attacking. But they, it's like, but they were very specific. He is not a cop. He is that's not true. a cop. That's um, true. I mean, he was at a hotel with some other guys. He has a fun wire. I mean, it seems like he's doing some stuff, but I mean, he has it's, a job it's that like... requires an 
masterpiece. That's all we know. <laughs> yeah, but like, I mean, this this happens in a lot of the noir kinds of films. I mean, it starts out very much like a noir film, but you have always a private eye. He used to be a cop, and then he had to do this, and this happened, and so now he's trying to figure this stuff out. And I mean, you know, you don't really know all the elements of that character's backstory, but you know they know their shit, and you know that people won't fuck with them usually because they know their shit. So... And you know he has a particular set of skills. <laughs> yeah. That's what, what separates is 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 are those scenes when there's actually an ethical consideration of what he's about to do. Uh, the particular set of skills is questioned in this film in a in a way that uh, they're not questioned and taken. Thank you for bringing that up, Noah. That's yet another example of dumb revenge movies that i don't like uh well, go ahead ben. yeah yeah uh the the revenge the revenge genre usually boils down to power fantasy it's usually uh i have been wronged uh i have the power to and this person who is secret badass uh when we first meet them we don't know that they can kill 17 people with a paper clip um uh but it is gradually revealed partly through action and usually through a, a fair bit of ham his uh ham-fisted exposition um that somebody is actually a, an, an incredible badass like a uh, john wick i love john wick i think it's a i think it's a very well-made film but it's a perfect example of this stereo uh, of this archetype of this trope um that uh, uh the camera's hovering on this guy and i see harm heading his way and i already know i already know one, he's going to make it through the end. Um, and two, it's going to be revealed that this was absolutely the last person in the world whose dog they should have shot. Um, uh, but that's, and, and that's typical of the, the revenge genre, um, uh, is this, I have been wronged. I have the power to make it so right that the corpses will be piled up uh, to the rafters. Um, and that equivalency is part of the genre is making things right means killing an enormous number of people. Um, this does not engage that does not entertain that, um, uh, intentionally screws with that. I, I feel in, in ways very overt and very subtle, um, in his, his attempt to one, make it right. Um, to undo, uh, to uh, redress the wrong that has been been done to him. I, I feel like right at the outset, we are asked to question the moral rectitude of our of our intended avenging angel. Um, uh, and I think, uh, and this is where this is. I love some of the camera language bits in this movie, where they intentionally screw with the question of who is the protagonist. Um, very simple example. Um, and it's, it's, uh, this isn't a universal, um, but as a general rule of thumb, if you have somebody, okay, like right, uh, camera, right. If you have somebody enter a frame like this, that's the villain right to left nine times out of 10, the first time you meet a character, if they're entering from right to left, you are intended to view them with suspicion, uh, you are intended to view them um, uh, in an antagonistic fashion. Um, this is uh, as opposed to left to right, 
uh, you are intended to sympathize with them. And there have been uh, uh, there have been psychological studies done uh, uh, relatively recently that that affirms um, that there is a bias, an interpretative bias that is applied just based on which side of the camera did the character enter from. Um, and this is so well ingrained that meet cute scenes are are one of the uh, the moment in the romantic comedy when the two characters meet each other for the first time um that they uh break another pretty fundamental rule of of filmmaking they will, will flip the axis of the scene just so that we can have both characters enter from the left um in the course of this movie our characters swap framing constantly constantly um right uh from from the very uh the the first time we meet victim girl camera left left to right um the first time we meet the cabbie center so like very neutral boom there he is you don't like him you don't hate him he's just a fact of the world when we meet chul he comes in from uh, camera, uh, camera right toward the left. The first time we meet Sue, camera right toward the left. Um, and they are swapping back and forth. Uh, we see Chul entering from the left, limping. Okay, so now he's a victim. He's a sympathetic. He's a sympathetic figure. He is more in distress. He is. He is now the prey. Um, and we favor him with sympathetic angles and sympathetic framing and sympathetic edits um uh and they just trade back and forth all the whole movie um some of that i don't know how to feel about these characters some of that's writing some of that's per performance a ton of that is how they use the camera yeah one of the things that happened when we've watched this I, and i've watched this with my family three times now all of us have watched this three times. In fact, when I turned it on, my daughter, she was just like, this, oh, I'm going to prepare myself. <laughs> she had to like, oh, oh boy. Um, of course, because the first scene. But um, one of the things we talked about was that every time we've watched this, we're like, where's Kim? Where the fuck is Kim? He's not trying to save anybody. He doesn't care about people having to suck the dick of this disgusting monster. He doesn't care about saving anyone. He doesn't care that a, a young girl's in a pit having a stick played on her skirt. He doesn't give a fuck about any of that shit. He's just wanting to, he's a cat playing with his little mouse. And he's like, I gotcha. Okay, I'll release you so I can chase you again. Ah, yeah, there's my mouse. And, and he just is playing this game. He doesn't give a fuck about the victims at all. And usually in Western movies of this, genre you know he usually makes some buddies along the way we like their you know the buddies and he's like has some humanity to him the, the main character doesn't have that humanity the only time we see his humanity is from his tears from his crying that's the only uh, time we see his humanity was there well, I, 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 oh i'm sorry go ahead jim i i was gonna sort of talk about that there's so after he catches the guy um, there's two early victims of Chul. After he catches Chul and then lets him go, he breaks his wrist and then lets him go. Um, the first victim of Chul after that is a woman who Chul sexually assaults and then 
Kim comes in or Sue, I'm sorry, Kim Sue comes in and and rescues the girl and then breaks his ankle, I believe. That's or, the nut, no, the nut, cuts the his uh, Achilles tendon. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah, the, the nut cracking is uh, is one of the suspects who it turns out not to be, who turns out not to be guilty of the death of his fiance, but guilty of another death. The next victim of Chul is the knife stabbing scene, and it is then later revealed that that guy actually had a dead guy in his back, in his in his trunk. So it was kind of justified that uh, that. Sue let him go. Um, that Sue let Chul kill that guy. Uh, I I think it's playing with uh, the point of all of this is to say that the that Kim's avenging angel and um, ex machina rescuer is uh, specific to the moral codes of the characters who Chul is intending to kill at that time. Um, so I I don't know if. There are times when I think you're right, Shayra, that he doesn't care about Chul's victims. The what? The bus stop bitch. The chick who's at the bus stop. The bus stop bitch. Yeah, when he got first released, there was a chick over at the bus stop. He knocked her in the head a couple times and uh, whatever. Doesn't he rescue her from the the grave? I mean, Um, kind of. I mean, and then, and then even with the nurse. He was listening in on his headphones down in the parking lot. Yeah, she didn't, he didn't shit. And yeah, he, he didn't go save her. He she was sucking his dick when he came in. He was yeah, like he doesn't really care. time. Yeah. He did not give a fuck. And like it is obvious he didn't give a fuck because he they showed him in his car, specifically showed the shot of him in his car on his headphones, like, yep, he's gonna rape that bitch. And he just sits there still. He wasn't like rush off to rescue. He didn't do yeah, that. That was the degradation for me. Like seeing that in different sequences, uh, that was surprising to me. I thought, okay, here's the hero coming to save the day, but that didn't happen, right? These people were, you know, just means to an end, sort of. They they were just casualties that had to happen. And what did he say that, to the nurse after he decided to hurt that? Oh guy? yeah, heal him or fix him up, right? Uh, what are, where are you going? You yeah, gotta come back here. Catch him yeah. up. It's like she was almost raped. Who the fuck would say that to someone who almost just got raped by this guy? Yeah. He got to patch him up. I'm sorry, that guy's heartless. Fuck him. So on that, so that's it. That sure. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like part of his advocacy group or anything. I'm just saying that I think the film is, uh, is is a little bit more complex. Like he's jumping in at certain times. Now, yes, it's late. Um, he has already sexually assaulted the woman by the time he he jumps in and and uh and rescues her i'm not i'm not nominating him for captain america or anything but i am saying that he there the film is very specific about the times it chooses to let kim su jump in and times it doesn't let kim su jump in that's that's all i'm saying so so that leads me to my next question um at at what point or was there any point in this film where you noticed the tables were reversed for you, where you saw Kim Su as as more of the villain and Kyung Chol as more of the um, the victim. Was there a point in this film where I mean, and I know there's a dance between them throughout the film, but what was the first time where you went? I don't know what to think here. I think this this guy may be just as bad, if not worse, than than the the, the guy who started the film by killing his fiance. Was there ever a point in that in this film for you? 
Greenhouse? Greenhouse? Yeah, that's that was. That I mean, was he's like, rah, yeah. and yeah. then he's like, no. <laughs> You're like, okay, yeah. okay, Neo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say, I would say the, I'd say the greenhouse. I, I, that's when I, which is early, uh, pr pretty early on. Um, that's when I was like, uh, it's especially when I first saw the film, and I didn't know that this was sort of the morality play the movie wanted me to engage in. I, I was like, what's well, why would he? I don't. That's weird. And that's right around the time where we start to see um, Kyung Chul start to be like, this guy's crazy. This guy's a sick, this guy's a pr pr uh, psychopathic bastard. And I'm like, what is, what's going to happen here? Wait a minute. I'm a simple man. I see the world in black and white. What are you doing to me, Korean cinema? What are you doing to me? So uh, that was the moment, I think, for me. Was was um, was that, So Shayra and I are on the same page. What about you guys? Was there a moment where you the weight shifted so heavily one way or to the other? Uh, nutcracking. Um, it's the first, <laughs> maybe that's just because, uh, I don't, I love how cracking. we name these sequences. Yeah. The nutcracker sequence, <laughs> you know, the tendon slicing. These are, yeah. Anyway. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, see, that's, that's the moment when he is picking on somebody who, uh, he suspects is the killer. He has no evidence of it and he chooses to torture the uh the person rather than do any sort of detective work um and it just so happens that he happens that the uh the person he nutcracks confesses to two other murders but he didn't know that at the time um i, I don't know call me old-fashioned but i think torture is wrong um and that's the moment when i started to ethically detach from the character it's also the moment when i started to ethically detach from the film i'm like is if there's not something else going on here fuck you movie on the podcast tomorrow i'm gonna rip it apart uh luckily luckily there were scenes that that proved that there were some ethical dimensions to this film i almost said fuck you ben even though i never met you before ben um but uh luckily there there were moral dimensions to the film so weirdest introduction to another person ever like hey this guy re recommends this movie to you fuck that guy i've never met him but fuck him <laughs> <laughs> yeah i didn't want to get off on the wrong foot there but <laughs> no I, I yeah i mean even even bad films i think we could learn something from luckily this is a good film though for for me um uh, the the nutcracking sequence definitely is the first um, oh, okay, so this is who we're dealing with. Um, this is who this protagonist is. This is what they are this is what they are willing to do. Maybe this is in extremis, maybe this is exceptional circumstance, but um, this is a thing that they did. And yeah, the the Deus ex machina of, oh, but he was he was guilty of something else uh, didn't take that, didn't wash that entirely clean for me. Um, but that, up to the greenhouse, I feel like we're still in the realm of revenge. I feel like we're still in that that territory of is this is this about uh, is this about causing suffering or is this about seeking justice? Um, maybe there's still some justice seeking here. Um, uh, the the way this would play out with um, the way this would play out with Charles Bronson is right up to this point, okay, I've outmaneuvered you. Uh, I've got you right where I want you. I'm going to tell you, hey, that thing that you did, it really pissed me off. It wasn't okay. And boom, you're dead. Movie's over. 
Um, but that's not what we did here. And if the movie had ended there, then Jim, like uh, all of your all of your objections, of course, totally, totally. Um, and that's what I think this movie was doing intentionally. I think they set us up with a classic revenge story, a classic revenge movie with all of the horrific justifications and, oh, well, you know, he killed his fiance. So who cares about the 17, you know, 17 random people who die horribly for no particular reason? Um, you know, I, all of the problems with the genre get set up and played out right to that first interception where the American director would have said, okay, we're done. Like, that's the end of the movie. But it was never about, it was never about justice. It was never about protecting society from a dangerous person. It was never about, and the, the collateral damage, the further victims that happen after that moment um, are further uh, evidence that this was never about a mandate of justice or of societal protectionism. This was always about causing suffering. I feel bad that I didn't get, I didn't feel that way at the Nutcracker sequence early on. I feel like it took me to the greenhouse to feel what you guys felt early on. I, I guess I, I don't know. I felt like the, the scene where he's just, he's a blunt instrument in the beginning was about rage. And I mean, but the, even then that's informative. That tells me a lot about what's coming perhaps. Um, so I sort of, I, I forgave that for some reason. It took me a little more of seeing him do his work to realize this is about something else. By the way, that's one of the things I wanted to mention is that, um, you know, this is not like, so this isn't like our film we're gonna be doing next week, Seven, which is a kind of whodunit. Um, but this one, you know, you know damn well who did it the first scene of the movie. So that was my first hint that this is about something else. They're gonna give me as part of this film, the person that, I, I mean, I'm watching the person who did it, I know who did it. They give that to me in the first scene. So that tells me they want me to think, contemplate, be a part of something else in this movie. And you know, that's one of those things where we, we talk about this time and time again on this podcast, that good horror films tend to make you reflect on particular things that are fundamental about a, a, a plethora of the human experience, a, a broad range of items within the human experience, but they make you reflect on core fundamental things. In this case, part of it at least is revenge. Um, something like the futility of revenge. So let me ask that. I mean, within the context of revenge, what is this film trying to say to us about revenge? I mean, granted, everything that happens, I think we're agreeing after a certain point is about causing harm. It's about becoming the monster, right? So if we push all of that aside for a minute and stick just to the issue of revenge, there's a lot of Korean revenge films. I know that and I've seen quite a few of them. What is this one trying to say? Well, the revenge genre is trying uh, as a as a film genre. It's trying to justify violence. Um, I think in a very torture pornographic way. Um, in terms of real life and whether or not revenge is ethically defensible in real life, I don't think it is. I I mean at least. I try to believe it isn't. At the same time, every time I'm wronged, the first thing that I think is, oh my God, I really want to wrong the person who wronged me. Um, and that's, but that's a human impulse that, that I try to fight against. 
how this film is treating, I think this film is more about the genre of revenge films than it is about revenge itself as a construct. I think it, it is, I, I think this is a kind of post-structural intertextual film that is making fun of the Charles Bronson movies or the, uh, the, the remake with Bruce Willis or the recent Jennifer Gardner film, which I didn't actually see the peppermint film where she en en enacts revenge and then becomes some sort of hero. If I'm to read the trailer correctly. Well, um, it certainly these... plays with those intuitions in these films, I think, you know? Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, interrupt you. Right. I, I, and I, I, yeah, I mean, I think what I'm saying is that this film is more about those films than it is about the construct of revenge in real life. Uh, because I think the construct of revenge in real life is is different than what is being portrayed here. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, at least that's my reading of it. I don't know. Uh, Shayra, Ben, do you want to pick this one up and run run with it? Or not? <laughs> I I don't know if this is about revenge. <laughs> yeah, I'm, re I'm realizing the more we talk about it, it, it may not be. I don't, I don't feel like it's about revenge. I honestly feel like, um, personally, my take of this film is that we're surrounded by monsters and we're monsters and we're all different kinds of monsters and we all interact with each other every day. And there's perfectly wonderful people out there that have to interact with us monsters. <laughs> like, that's the way I take it. Um, but I also tend to watch a lot of fantasy stuff that's like really crazy. So maybe that influences my take on it. But I did not see this as your typical revenge type film. I saw this as a monster movie. In fact, the, the best way I could describe it was uh, when I was seeing them fight in the greenhouse. I was like, ah, oh, you know, this is like, <laughs> this is like the monster movies where you see Godzilla fighting in the city. They're both monsters. They're both destroying the city. Everyone's fucked. And all you could do is just go, ah, or as the girl did in the background, run the fuck away, get out of that ditch and just neither of these guys is safe. Get the fuck out of there. Um, but like, yeah, it's, I, I saw this as a monster movie personally. So maybe my takes different. It definitely did borrow from stuff like seven and other kinds of revenge films but um i don't i don't know if it was like um trying to attack the revenge film genre maybe it is as jim says but i just saw it as a monster movie i don't know how to explain it any other way i like that i really like that interpretation i think it, i think you there's a lot to recommend this as a monster film i think that's that's right on um the only thing that I would say in counter is that it is that it is structured exactly like a revenge film. Like the structure of this film is we see something and horrible right. and, then, and that's the inciting incident for our protagonist to in, embark on his 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 kill spree. It's Godzilla's um, revenge. <laughs> yeah, it's Godzilla's revenge. So that I think that melds our two interpretations perfectly. Yeah. Well, like I. Uh, the first 10 minutes of the movie give you all of the payoff that you would get from a mystery flick. Like Noah was drawing the comparison to, to Seven. I feel like the first 40 minutes, um, you have a revenge movie. Um, uh, 40, maybe 50 minutes, you you have a revenge movie. Um, but it keeps going. <laughs> um, 
but it keeps uh, but it keeps on going um i think i think that there is definitely an intertextual uh, uh intertextual uh conversation going on with the revenge genre an indictment of the revenge genre um a very direct interrogation of the moral narrative of the revenge genre and part of what we encounter there is uh, i feel like we are presented with the we're presented with the argument that the whys of these acts of violence um, the motives, uh, the intention behind them, uh, just does not matter uh, in the context of you had this power, this is how you used it. Um, one of the things that ping-pongs back and forth between Chul and uh, Kim Su is who is in power, who is in a better position. Um, and there are palpable um, uh, substantive differences in the power structure between the two. Um, one is on the run, the other is in pursuit. Um, one is in a place of relative safety with resources available to them, uh, the other is not. Um, uh, the power dynamic between them changes substantially throughout the course of the film. Um, but what does not change is that both of them use everything available to them more or less without consideration of cost uh, to themselves or other persons. Like the what are, where are you going? Patch him up. You are a resource that I am going to use. Um, and that uh, Chull's initial killing that we see in uh, the first murder that we see in the movie um, is motivated purely by self-gratification. Uh, and Kim Su's acts of violence um, are in pursuit of... And here's where I feel a conventional revenge flick would offer us a litany of ends to that sentence in pursuit of justice in pursuit of uh revenge to um uh to uh again protect society from this dangerous creature but over and over and over again we are given examples of no that's not why he's doing it no that's not why he's doing it no that's not why he's doing it and at the end um through that process of production what, what we have is gratification again kim su um uh acts of violence in uh a perhaps a different kind of self-gratification than Chol, um, but not that different. <laughs> really not that different. So do you read the ending, his ending tears, as tears of grief or tears of, uh, finally, like, how do you read the ending of his, when he's crying and walking away? Let's, let's just ask that question and without presenting you options. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I, I think he is bereaved. Um, uh, I think he is uh, I think he is uh, grief struck by what he has become. Um, uh, to the best of our knowledge, um, now uh, and I need to clarify, he has not become a worse person than he was at the start of the movie. I contend. Um, he has not become a more violent person than he was to begin with. Um, but rather that, um, this is perhaps the first time that he has been per, uh, that he has self-assigned that role as torturer, as executioner, as hunter, as predator. Um, that he is those things, and he was the first time we met him. Um, but that up to this point, 
up until the events of this film, he's on, he's kept on a leash for all intents and purposes. And so long as that leash existed, um, uh, partly to keep his nature in control by external forces, uh, we want to keep this as a guy we want to keep on a leash, but it also provided him with an interpretative structure for his nature and his behavior and his actions in the past that allowed him to um, put moral culpability on shoulders other than his own. Um, at right. the end of this yeah, movie... As other people, because the state told me to, not because I really wanted to, now is the only time when I really wanted to. Exactly. And maybe it didn't feel all that different. And maybe it didn't feel that all that could, good. And that could fuck you up because you're like, what does it all mean? But I, I also do feel like the way that his fiance was introduced into the story showed that that was the only fucking thing that was human about him. The only time we see him behave in a way that is like, aw, is with her. And he's singing to her in the bathroom, but he's embarrassed by it. You even see when like, when the guy opens the door, he's like, oh, I am manly man and toxic masculinity. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like before, like he has this super soft, sweet side with her. And that's the only thing human about him. And the worst part is, the worst part is that this motherfucker tells him later on when he is a little bit uh, not in control. Oh, yeah, by the way, she was fucking pregnant, you cunt. Like, ah! Like, and and you see his reaction is like, oh, my shit. I'm going to have to get really creative in how yeah, I'm going to no fuck this guy up. There's no more chains at that point. He's, he's, un he's unleashed he's at loose. that point. King Kong is loose in the city. He's going to climb up to the building. <laughs> like, yeah, it's well, what was interesting to me is the end for the ending scene, guys, is is um, the music that's playing during the ending sequence where he's crying and walking down the street is the exact same song that's playing when he finds out about his fiance's death, which I thought was uh, which I thought was somewhat telling for me. I mean, I yeah, I I I, I saw something like the futility, like the very basic idea of the futility of revenge in this. I feel like that was still there even after the unhinged ness of, of our protagonist or one of our protagonists. God, I don't even know how to describe this anymore. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate this. The one of the second, this is the second film where the more I try to think about it, the more fucked up it gets. First is triangle. Now it's, uh, I saw the devil, but yeah, I, uh, I, I, I want to, I want to see the ending as, as him, it, it, <laughs> Yeah, still being him. I mean, I guess to some extent that makes it worse, right? I mean, the, the realization that none of this really did anything, it didn't bring his fiance back, it didn't solve anything. Everyone who talked to him, who said, don't do this, they were all right. And all he did is destroy more lives. It was the recognition of that fact. But that was there from the beginning. Like that, Like that. I guess that's what makes it all the more a tragedy, I guess. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what to think about this anymore. I'm just gonna say, I don't know the whole time. Now you guys have messed me up. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, while uh, uh, yeah, well, well, I mean, I guess that's uh, that's a uh, benefit for. Uh, yeah, it's even more of a more of a yeah. What what is he say? Damn psychopath! That's what I should be calling Ben right now for doing this to me. Uh, so 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 what, yeah. Let's dehumanize Ben too. Yeah, let's dehumanize Ben for making us watch this movie. Um, yeah. Uh, do you guys have anything else you guys want to add? Before, I I, I would like to point okay. something out that my daughter pointed out. <laughs> So, so this, you have this badass, right? Uh, he got fucked over by by a monster. Um, 
He's trying to go find his wife. He's going through all this stuff. And he's been pretty badass throughout the whole thing. Do you know the one moment when a hit got in on him that was a pretty good hit? Do you remember the first point where he actually got a really good hit on him? Our Neo, our our, our uh, ninja warrior. When is the, it? The first point where he really gets a hit on him is, is with the woman. The, uh, the uh, cannibals. It was a woman that got him over first. And uh, I, my daughter pointed that out. She was like, you notice it was the woman that could get him first? <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. Oh, and, yeah, it's true. Um, and, and that is a powerful moment because, I mean, yeah, she, she ends up getting her ass kicked, too. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but she... Yeah, like, he doesn't hold back, too. Yeah. No, no he's the get out of her there's no like i don't hit girls like oh no i hit girls <laughs> well especially if they're ones that can get a, a one hit on him uh, he knows his weakness now he's better to get her um but she was the first one to really get him and then it actually weakened him and that's when you knew the cannibals could actually you see both of them trying to go after him and stuff um of course he he did okay fighting them off but that was the first time he showed weakness and i i was wondering what you guys might take from that whole scene that was a really incredible scene especially with the throwing of the fish hooks and and the, and the walking on the fish hooks and everybody's heads are exploding um it's, it's a fantastic scene <laughs> especially special effects wise um we were very impressed by the special effects in that in that scene yeah this if the practical effects in this movie for being so recent were fantastic not to Holy go off what yours yeah. no but uh, i do want to say that uh, the the head smashing in this film was very fantastically done as far as uh art is concerned um when you see the the old man getting his head beaten with a weight and you see his mouth moving like ah oh no ah, ah and he's still getting smashed i i don't know how they did that uh, well, the mallet, the mallet scene for me was was one of the most, actually one of the most brutal parts of this movie, um, where uh, Kyung Chol, I think, hits the, the woman in the head with the mallet, and I think it's a mallet in the front of his van, and you see the blood kind of hit the window, and he does it a few times, and it's I was like, God, it wasn't even the, the practical effects necessarily for that scene, but it was just an incredibly quick, brutal, it, it may be that Breaking Bad style, quick, raw, brutal, talk, talk. real, this is what it probably looks like when you do that sort of thing you know it's, um, it's too real it it was i will admit uh there were some people in the comments here in the chat that were talking about the uh weird cgi penis in the nutcracker scene uh it, not the greatest um but the head smashing we needed william defoe's penis for this that's the only <laughs> way it would have worked it's a no, throwback. It's yes, it's a throwback to our Antichrist episode. It's if you know what we're talking big. about, go see. There was a there was a size issue with William Defoe's penis and Antichrist. Do not mean to segue into that. I don't know how I segued into that. Continue. <laughs> no. We'll always segue into how big will <laughs> how big his penis is. Willem Dafoe's penis is the uh, is the running gag in each of our no pun intended uh, in each of our podcasts. Oh, one thing I wanted. One thing I wanted to. Okay, Shay was still laughing. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention is the cinematography in this uh, in this film. I've already mentioned that I thought it was beautifully shot, but let me say it again: it was beautifully shot. There are scenes. I was recalling uh, Garrett's uh, a few months back, or maybe even a year back. Uh, Garrett did a lecture about. Um, the philosophy of horror films and he was talking about is it possible for violence and the is it possible for the grotesque 
to be beautiful. And uh, I argued at that time that I didn't actually, I didn't like to believe that violence or, or gore or the grotesque could be beautiful, but I had to admit that in some cases it was. This is one of those cases when I have to admit that it was. Um, the camera work was fantastic. The lighting design was absolutely fantastic. This film uses light and shadows incredibly well. Um, it uses color schemes really well to highlight the the things that it uh, to highlight the characters and the violence in some cases. I really enjoyed the camera work of this film. I think it's I I think it's best some of the best cinematography that I've seen in a horror film in quite some time. Agreed, one hundred percent. In fact, when I when I saw it, it again, when I was watching him walk towards the greenhouse. There's specific lights of blue and orange in the greenhouse and it's like drawing you in and the shot of him and the way his face is lit where he's right there, but the greenhouse isn't, it's so fucking beautifully lit and so beautifully shot. It's, it's, it's almost, it's almost homey that scene. I, I know what you're, I, I totally know what you're talking about. It's, it's almost like a, it's like a, a home. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very home. It's very homey. It's like you're, you feel comfortable, even though, you know, shit's about to go down. I, you I know are comfortable. Mean. And, and yeah. they, they put in colors and shots so that you feel like, ah, here comes Kim. He's gonna kick some ass. And you're just like, yay. <laughs> it's like, for some reason, you're cool with the situation, even though you know what's going on in the greenhouse. I would have paid good money to, to have that have been the score. Just <laughs> the way you just sang it in that scene. That would have been great. By the way, that was the other thing that was so great about this movie was the music. Um, I noticed that a lot. Dude, I wrote in my notes that there were one or two sequences towards the beginning, granted, um, that were almost like Lord of the Rings, sort of like epic fucking music in a horror film. Like they were like just um, orchestra, beautiful music. And I'm like, I, I, it threw me off, especially at the beginning in that very noir style like intro where I was like, what is, I? this isn't, did I watch the right movie? Did I turn the right thing on? And that's been the theme for me for this movie is messing with my intuitions about cinema, about ethics. About, I mean, like everything that I know about the genre, um, it, it didn't necessarily turn it on its head, which there are certain films that do those things, but it, it, as I like to say, and Jim's gonna hear this for the thousandth time, it put a stone in my shoe. It made me kind of like go, like something something was off. I was like, this is playing with my intuitions about everything I know in horror films. And I, uh, I have to give it one of the most like unique accolades for that because I, I'm hard pressed to think of a, another horror film that did that, that put a little kink in the machine and made me go, what, 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 you know, and I, that's hard. That's rare for me to, to be able to do that um, or to think that way in a horror film. So, yeah, I, the music was fantastic, too. Especially I, I mean, the elevator music in the beginning that make you it, you know that it's supposed to make you feel comfortable. That kind of music is usually like, hey, it was such a relaxing opening, beautiful shot. The sequence but you're was like, gorgeous. No, something's. Something's gonna. Yeah. Happen. Oh yeah, you know something's gonna happen. But it was very reminded me um, of a of a, a video game called Indigo Prophecy that came out quite a few years ago. Felt the same way, the snow, the intro, but it just felt comfortable. But also uh, something bad's about to take place. The the way you just described that. But you know, it just reminded me of that. Very uh, very interesting. And I made the same comment about music in 
of all films, Train to Busan in, in the sequence where everyone's being eaten alive and you're watching it from the, the train window and everyone's huddled together holding into each other. It's, I don't know, it's, uh, I, name me an American horror film where that stressed to that degree, where, where these, these the, the music is that well thought of, implemented, um, in a, in such an ultra violent fucking horror film, I, I it, good luck. It's 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 just different, and I I liked that it made me feel weirded out. You know, didn't didn't necessarily gross me out to any. So I've seen all the nasty gore porn movies. Didn't didn't necessarily you know it it did <laughs> it wasn't like Jim and Raw. I'll put it that way. Or uh you know you know I, I think there was even a Jim and I were talking before the show. There I think there was a sequence even in this film with the cannibal. Where it was a little uh, gag sequence. But, um, it, it, you know, and that, the guy digging through his shit. Yeah. Oh, and him digging through his shit. Amazing cinema. Uh, it, it could not, my favorite scene in the movie. Digging I, through I, his I, shit. I love Beautiful. I love, Gorgeous. I love, <laughs> <laughs> That's my reaction to that. <laughs> I love that scene just because third time watching it, and my daughter goes, So, so that's shit. <laughs> and I'm like, Yeah, that's shit. And she goes, it's not my shit. It's <laughs> just like tell her she's got enough fiber in her diet. Mother, mother daughter conversations at Shira's house. But it's it's funny because uh, that is actually you know that's a conversation that happened on the set of this film. How should the consistency of the shit be? What should it look like? And you know that there was a bunch of people like sitting around a table discussing this while eating French fries and drinking a Coke, trying to figure out what the shit should look like for that. I've got five piles of shit here for you. Which one do you want? <laughs> Wait, is that your job, Ben, to present five piles of shit to a director and then ask the director which one he wants or she wants? It's, it's, it's some, it, yeah, there's a bit of that. There's a bit of that. Um, I, I was just I, I was just thinking like the other um, uh, it was uh, a, uh, about a, uh, about a year ago uh, having a lunch design meeting um, uh, walking through the the exact details of well okay exactly how should this guy pull his own face off um, with without any mechanical assistance or tools what 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 can we get away with and uh, what's going to look best and work work best for our shot. Um, and we were eating pizza at the time. Um, uh, so, so like his fantasy of this is you're eating pizza instead of fries. Okay. I got yeah. It. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's exactly how I envisioned the whole thing. So it's, yes. It, and, and that is, that is the reality. That is the reality. So like, uh, as far as, uh, as far as gore porn goes or torture porn goes, I'll, you know, I'll look at something and say, Oh, that was well done. You know, someone actually cared about delivering that or, or oh, that looks like Friday afternoon work. Um, uh, but but not. It doesn't it doesn't excite and it doesn't repel either. Um, so I I have to and I, I look for the well the moral themes um, the the stuff that okay no that did get under my skin like this does get under my skin um, like uh, this this movie I enjoyed. Um, Mostly for what it does narratively, what it does, uh, and it's a beautifully executed film, um, uh, start to finish. Uh, um, but uh, you know, something like Triangle, I paid attention because, whoa, I'm, I feel deeply disturbed. I'm not accustomed to that watching a movie. Um, 
but uh, yeah, I I just I love the pacing with which this movie um, comforts you, draws you back into a narrative track that maybe you you're is a little more familiar, a little more. No, it's okay. It's okay. It's a revenge movie. Calm down. Sit down. It's okay. It's okay. He's going to be super badass in a minute. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's not the movie we're making. Um, and that they do that over and over and over again. I love it. Pleasant disappointment. <laughs> if if ever there's an audience that deserves, that needs to get screwed with, it is the revenge film audience. I can't agree more. I... I... I remember um, I saw a film, I saw it late, I saw it on video uh, or DVD, um, and this was right along the time that Eli Roth's remake of um, Death Wish was coming out with Bruce Willis, and I saw a film called In the Fade, and it's a fantastic film, and one of the, my, my tweet review was the fact that Hollywood remade Death Wish when this film exists, when In the Fade exists, tells you all we need to know about where we are as a culture. Um, that's, that's essentially how I thought about this film. The fact that Hollywood remakes Death Wish again when this film exists uh, tells you all we need to know about this, uh, about our, where we are as a culture. Uh, we are still making Peppermint and Death Wish and Korean cinema. And in the case of In the Fate, I think it's German cinema. I could be mistaken. Uh, is, is making nuanced, morally ambiguous films is, is appropriate, I think. Uh, that actually brings me to uh, a point I've been wanting to make about these films. Um, do you think that we are just really lucky to live in this time period where we are, have so much access to so many movies from so many different locations. Do you think this is actually going to, you know, help us grow with our film language, with our art, with our, you know, just ability to tell stories? Is, are, are we going to start really kicking some ass because we have so much access to so much stuff or is it just going to water it down? Is it going to destroy that? Well, I mean, that's really a question about the marketplace and I didn't, I didn't look up where what this film did at the the box office and you know then how popular this film is because you know it's hard to determine that afterwards um the fact that peppermint didn't do so well at the box office i think is a good thing the fact that death wish bombed at the box office i think is a good thing um but i mean i'll go back to a point that i made earlier i will indict the marvel films in this in this category of, of sensationalizing and beautifying violence, uh, showing violence without any real moral consequences and without any blood and the grotesquery that, that's as a result of it. Um, I think that the success of those films is, a, is in a way an indictment of our culture. At the same time, You Were Never Really Here, which, which treats violence and I think a very interesting and nuanced way, that didn't do well at the box office. So uh i would like to be optimistic about um how we receive these films and how we how they change us as a culture but i'm at this point I, i'm all out of optimism i mean my my optimism died in uh uh 11 9 2016 so uh we'll see uh we'll see i i don't know what do, what do the rest of you think i well i 
it's difficult not to be optimistic as a horror fan right now. Um, uh, as as a general uh, as a general citizen, human being, and um, someone with a vested interest in the uh, in the moral direction of our society, um, uh, that's uh, that's that's one conversation. But um, uh, but Get Out is a movie that happened. Hereditary is a movie that happened. Um, we have we we have a a crop of directors that have rediscovered that horror is a great place to explore moral narratives. It's a great place to ask really uncomfortable questions. Um, it's it's a great place for us. To, uh, uh, it's a great place for us to reintroduce the question of is institutional apartheid still a thing kind of looks like it is maybe we should own that a little bit more directly um uh i i feel like i feel like it's a great time for horror and i'm 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 not just saying that because this month there is a re uh, this month dropping a remake of suspiria and a remake of Halloween, and both of them actually look good. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree with you about the genre. I was, I, I was responding to what I thought Shaver's question was, um, in a societal sense. But as a genre, horror is like this is a great time to be doing this podcast uh, because we're getting a lot of really good horror films coming out and. Um, the theater and i think that they're doing relatively well at the box office hereditary did did good numbers um especially in a uh, a summer that was uh dominated by avengers infinity war and um mission impossible i can't remember the top five uh incredible stew was up there but the fact that hereditary and i'll add to your list um the the death film, the the film, um, the silent film. Oh, come on, help me, uh, Jake. Uh, Quiet not, place. Uh, John Krasinski. Quiet place. What am I yeah, Quiet Place. God damn, why did I fucking forget that movie? Yes, A Quiet Place. I'll add A Quiet Place to your list. As a genre, I think you're right that we're in a great time for horror film. Whether or not it is, and it crashed at, uh, did a, uh, didn't, uh, did a well at the box office as well. Um, but whether or not this this permeates us as human beings, I remember an old study. This was about 10 years ago when somebody did a study on the politics of hip hop and the people who listen to hip hop. And largely the politics of hip hop were, were left wing. Yet the people who listen to hip hop, uh, they fell on the same... Um, uh, left-wing, right-wing percentage that the rest of the country fell on. And so the question of whether or not art permeates into changing our values is, um, I, yeah, I mean, I'm less optimistic about that than, than perhaps you are, Ben, but uh, maybe that is, as you say, another conversation. But but does it have to does it have to change our values if it's reflecting a change in values? I mean uh, that's that's what that's what I I enjoy. That's what I'm loving is that 
Um, not that uh, so many people saw Get Out, and so uh, that's that's a huge number of people whose opinions have been changed. That's that's not how I read that statistic. It is that there were enough people who were interested in engaging that kind of moral narrative, um, uh, horror as social commentary, and with this upshot, there were people who wanted that enough to topple all box office competitors for three months. Um, that Hereditary, five years ago, Hereditary wouldn't have gotten a theatrical release. It would You would not be able to check it out at your local theater. Maybe a university art cinema. You know, it's that these, that these kinds of movies um, are getting commercial exposure at all is, I, I think, a great shift um, that, uh, that the same uh, media machine that says, hmm, you know what we really need? I think we need to reboot Spider-Man a seventh time. Um, the, same, the same folks who do that because, well, let's check out our metrics. Okay, this is still tracking. This is still tracking. So if we invest half a, a, half a billion dollars, we have some reason, a reasonable expectation of this percentage of return on that investment that they apply those same heuristics to. Well, let's talk about socially responsible exploration of mental illness with a demonic underpinning metaphor that's mostly character driven and was shot for you know a, a, a song and a shoe shine, um, and that they can apply those same metrics and say. No, this is worth putting in into a full theatrical release. This is worth putting in every theater in North America. Um, when, when the cynical, when when the cynical um, money money making and money counting apparatus that um, gives a stamp of approval to something that is actually, you know, has some merit to it. Actually, has merit to it. Um, I'm, I feel good about that. I, I, that means that there are a lot of people who want actual meat, they, that, that they want actual heft to the movies that they're watching. And I, I think that's one of the things that's interesting about this particular film is if it would have been put under any genre, normally it would just be just considered just a regular action film, but due to its elements, due to its realism, due to uh, all the gore, it is a horror film. And I feel like horror, and we've talked about this in our very first episode, where we were talking about horror just seems to just depend on a lot of things. But I think horror is starting to kind of seep into everything and everybody just gets it now. And they're like, oh, it's just, it's not just about blood and, and gore. It's it's a reflection of us. Oh, and now all of a sudden it's like seeping in everything. Yeah, I think our anxiety, I think to that, to speak to that, I think there's a sense in which, and this is somewhat subjective, but I think our anxieties are overflowing and they're overflowing into every different area of our life. Think of Black Mirror. I can't think of a better show to, to use as an example as Black Mirror technology. I mean, there's so many subgenres to which the horror element reflecting our anxieties is is flowing into which is why i think it's a it's a it's a difficult time to be alive it's a great time to be alive and you know it's probably the best time ever in the history of the world to be alive i don't want to shit on it but at the same time our anxieties got to go somewhere and when i look 
it, I was talking to my grandfather the other day, product of the 1920s. Dude, when he went and you know went to the store and bought cereal, there were like two or three options. When I go to the store and buy cereal, there's 78 options. And just that alone is anxiety, dude. It's like everywhere we go, there are a multitude, there's just a hundred thousand choices in everything in life. Like our anxiety, the, the fears that we have, the the just the way we live our lives results in this overflow of anxiety. It's got to go somewhere. And it seems to be um funneling its way through the through the the horror genre. And granted, there's tons of shitty horror films that come out every year, but there's more and more really fantastic horror films coming out every year. I, I feel like this is the golden age of horror in a lot of ways. And I hope we look back and think that way. A lot of people think it's the 80s, right? They go back, think of all the 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 well-known and Maybe you can make an argument for that. But I, I think in the last 10 years, even last 15 years, there have been some of the best horror films I think ever made. Um, and I, and I say that- That's what your original premise was for the yeah, show. Yeah, and that, that was my original thing was, was um, but I, you know, and I, I, I say this because I like to shit on nostalgia. I, I have a real problem with people confusing nostalgia for something that is well known because it was a product of their generation with a quality product. And that's the same for now. That's the exact same thing that we'll say now 50. I, I hope I'm saying that 50 years from now about it follows. Do, do you know what I mean? Like one, it, it's just one of those things I don't like confusing classic nostalgic for quality necessarily or good. Um, so, but anyway, I, yeah, I, I think that that's why horror is doing so well. And I'm, I'm, excited for it. I mean, dude, the list that we have of movies to go over for the next, they're just set for like the next five years, like every other week, like there's so many good films to go over, which is cool, which is exciting. Um, this one, however, was great to me because it just played with my, I, I feel like it just rebooted my system a couple times and made me rethink about things that were familiar. Um, so to that extent, let's let's wrap this up and let's score this film. I, I the more I, I want to say one thing about scoring. Um, you know, we've we've made a joke that you know, like every other movie, we're either doing like five stars or uh, you know ten you know ten stars or out of a hundred. We we jump back and forth just because it's fun. I'm getting to the point where I realize that it's hard to score these films in, by any metric anymore. I don't know if that's you know, the inner like postmodernist in me coming out going like I don't even know if no, that's a, you are absolutely right because. I, Especially with something like this, is it is it horror? Is it yeah. a revenge film? What is yeah. it? How do you? Score? It's getting harder. It, it's getting harder in every podcast we do. I've noticed. Um, you know, and it, at first it was kind of humorous, and now I'm like, I what? How do I? So I I, I guess what I'll do is just kind of give my conclusion. I I, I want to start this one by just maybe. I mean, if y'all want to score it on your end, go for it. I don't know how to score this movie. You know, usually when I take a horror film that scares the shit out of me, like, so for example, two weeks ago, I selected Hereditary. Hereditary is legitimately one of the scariest films I've seen in a very, maybe ever, like in a very long time. I can go, hey, you know what? It hits all of my fear elements. I know myself well enough to know the sorts of things in horror films that just scare the shit out of me, right? This film doesn't have that. It doesn't have those traditional things for Noah that makes me think about the movie two, three, four days later, right? Um, in, in you know, in the way Hereditary did. But at the same time, I feel really weird in this movie in a way that none of the other films we've talked about, maybe with the exception of Train to Busan, have done. So I don't know how to describe that. You know, all I would say is um, this is a this is one of those horror films that does more work the more you watch it, just like Triangle. It's one of those movies that the more you watch it, 
the more you start to realize certain things. And to some extent, the more I say fear inducing it gets, or the more in this film, it's not like triangle triangle is, is scarier. Every time I watch it in this movie, it makes me rethink my sort of traditional conceptions of, of, of horror in particular, uh, you know, plot devices and tropes and things. And it makes me kind of think about like myself in cinema more. I, I don't, I don't want to go into a movie thinking about those things. Just show me some dude hacking up another guy. That's what I'm used to. That's what I think I'm going to watch when I see this trailer, you know? So I, I, it confused me and I got to give it really high points for that, you know, accolades for that. Um, this is a quality horror film. Um, the music is quality. The acting, we, I mean, I, we didn't get into this too much, but the acting is fucking superb in this movie. The cinematography is superb. The lighting is superb. It's a quality film without the violence. Um, but the ultra violence makes it something, it, it makes it something just so different than any other film in the genre to me. I um, would love to watch this movie again, and I'm scared to watch this movie again, which is cool. I like movies like that. Um, so I just want to say that I, I, Ben, I, I love you and I hate you, man. I don't know why. Thank you for, for picking this film. It's you mess me up with your selections. You're, you're two for two. Um, so damn you, damn you to hell. So, uh, so our relationship is essentially unchanged. Get, correct. Correct. Great. Yep. Great. Yep. Good. Good. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm right with you. This is, um, this movie doesn't scare me, but it profoundly unsettles me. Um, and, uh, and, uh, as, uh, Jim Shara, I think uh, we've all, we've all had a turn at this line of line of comment. Um, it does a really, really great job of interrogating me about my responsibility as an audience member, um, about the choices that I make in the narratives that I cognitively engage with. Um, and especially the, the, um, uh, the punishment reward cycles of engaging in those narratives, like, yeah, kill all the bad guys, endorphins kicking, I'm feeling pretty great right now. You know, this does a great job of screwing with that um, in a way that in, I'm, I'm hesitant to go this far, but I, that kind of shocks us back to a sense of moral responsibility. Um, as an audience member, um, in a way that I, I find refreshing and unsettling. Um, I am not disturbed at what I have seen. I am disturbed at what I have felt about what I have seen. Um, and I can't think of another movie that does that as well as this one does. Um, I, on the technical fronts, um, full stars. It's the cinematography is beautiful. The lighting design, again, beautiful. Production design is fantastic. Um, uh, where there where there were compromises made for cost, they are um, very very well hidden uh, under the guise of artistic choices. Uh, the performances are dynamite. Um, I cannot think of anything about the edit that I want to complain about, and that's saying something. Um, at no point did I feel like Dr. Exposition walked in, um, uh, to tell us the plot, uh, the plot elements that, uh, they couldn't be bothered to present visually. Um, on the technical side, it's a fantastic movie and all of the gore gags, uh, CG penis aside, um, are top notch and very well shot. They did a very good job of shooting these in such a way that, that the, the illusion is maintained. Um, 
but those those aren't that's not why I keep watching this movie. I keep watching this I, I keep watching this movie because whatever I have been watching lately, this is a great confrontation about how I felt about what I have been watching lately um, and how I have co consciously participated in the narratives that I have been watching lately. Well, thanks, Ben. Thanks for choosing a film that makes me feel shitty about myself. Appreciate that. <laughs> what about you guys? What about you guys? What'd you guys think? Um, so I'm going to go into a, a weird place. Um, this film, um, it teaches men what it's like to be a woman. It puts them in that uncomfortable position. And yeah, I'm going to go feminist on this, so fuck you if you hate it. Every single scene with a woman involved, you get to understand what we feel. You get to see how we feel. You get to get a little bit of the anxiety that we feel just leaving our fucking house and being alone with a strange man we don't know, don't trust, and we have to try to, huh, okay, yeah, um, <laughs> and you see this with the nurse, you see this with the girl at the bus stop, you see this with the, the young girls that are on the, uh, you know, get on the bus with him, and it, it just, it's continuous, we are made to feel like we have to sit there and smile through this shit, and we don't trust you, we do know that there's something inside of you. We can sense that monster in you and we're freaking out and scared and we're worried and we know. And then guess what? We're right. You are a monster and you're hitting us over the head or you're trying to stick a stick under our skirt or whatever the fuck happens to us. And almost every woman I've ever talked to has an experience just like this, that a story just like this. And this film manages to put men in our shoes to help us understand why you might just be a normal bloke, but you kind of scare us because we don't know what the fuck you're thinking. We don't know what the fuck you could possibly do. You could have a pipe in the back of your car that you want to hit on our head. We don't know what you're up to. And it's so pertinent today. This film is so pertinent today, especially with all this shit that's going on. I, I sat with my daughter watching it and she was like, for a long time, she was like, I, I hate that I get anxiety about stuff. I hate that I get uncomfortable about stuff. I hate that when guys are around me, I feel uncomfortable and that I get scared. And she's like, but you know what? That's how I survive. That anxiety I need. I need to be scared of men sometimes. I need to be scared of people sometimes. And that's what helps me survive. Because when I'm watching this movie right now, I see these girls' reactions. I know they want to run and they're not. They should be listening to their anxiety and running and maybe my anxiety can save me someday. That's what this film did for me and my daughter today. And yes, it has to do with the Kavanaugh thing and you guys can get mad if I talk about it, but it was very pertinent and it was fucking us up. No, I, I think that's totally fair. I mean, I was going to make the comment that Kyung Chol, I mean, he looked back at his calendar and it didn't say anything about, you know, raping. <laughs> like that, so. It's true. But I, I mean, seriously, even if you listen to what he says to the girl in the ditch, right? He sounds like a fucking incel. He's like, you don't like me. Girls don't like me. And he's like upset that girls just maybe don't rape him. You fucking asshole. You know, maybe if you actually tried being a goddamn human being, girls might like you. 
instead I, of trying to rape him. I did look at his calendar and there is no way that he could have done what it is said he did um, because he was far too busy following women in the dark and sharpening knives um, to also be killing them. I mean, seriously, did you guys at all get that feeling from this film that it was like really pertinent? Okay, so okay, I'm not alone. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I did. I did. It messed wow. me up a I've lot. Really, I've been really sort of geared into that uh, ever since the uh, ever since Thursday. But um, yeah, I mean, look, anybody who says nasty comments about what Shayra just said, you can go fuck yourself because that was. Uh, I don't want to follow that up. Really, like I'm <laughs> supposed to wrap up now. That's uh, yeah. No, thank you, Shayra. That was. Um, yeah, I got I got some of that from from the film. Certainly not to the degree that that you did. Um, and uh, I I really I'm sort of I, I'm I'm a little discombobulated sorry, by your interpretation not, right now. Like it was like that. I feel like I should shut the fuck up right now. Really. Um, well, can I just say before you go, Jim? Yeah. I, you know, Shay Shay was Shay was definitely Shay was definitely not alone. Uh, my so. Uh, my wife doesn't watch too many of the horror films with me just because it's not her thing. But she, you know, she watched the int the first uh, sequence with the taxi and and getting to know our villain, and uh, that was it. She didn't want to she want to watch any more of it. You know, from the first scene, it was just too much. She was like, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. You know, she always used to tell me that she was scared just to go to a, a parking, and she still feels this way going to a parking garage by herself. And I, I, there's a sense of disconnect. You know, for me, I, I don't feel that way. I don't think I've ever felt that way. But that doesn't mean that there aren't people out there who do feel that way. And I can see how this film would bring about those anxieties. And that's what a horror film does. And it's not always fun. It's not always uh, comfortable, um, you know, to bring out anxieties about particular things, things related to your personal, you know, uh, the way you were brought up or your sex, you know, that's or your gender. Uh, it just it's it's there are certain things that are going to do that for certain people. And that can be. um that that can be that can be troubling watching particular horror films, particularly rape sequences, right? We've we've had a couple of those in in certain films um, that are pretty difficult. But yeah, no, I uh, Shara uh, L feels very very similar to you. You're you you know this already, but you're definitely not alone in that interpretation. So on that note, Jim, go ahead and close up. Go for it. Give the red pill interpretation. Go. Um. Okay. All right. So, yeah. I mean, once again, I I just wanted to say that um, to the degree that I don't feel weird about walking in parking garages that's my that's my male privilege talking like that's the reason i don't feel afraid of walking into parking garages is because you know i'm a dude um yeah okay so now that that's out of the way uh let's talk about this movie um this is one of my favorite uh films that we've reviewed on the podcast uh because uh, once that scene hit between the uh, the it, it was the turning point of the film. It was it was the point of the film when I stopped saying "fuck you, Ben," and that was when the uh, the the sister, the father, and the protagonist were were all talking, and the sister and the father were trying to convince him to to stop his revenge. Because that's when I realized that this was smarter than the average revenge flick, that this was, in fact, in um, commenting on the revenge genre. And I'm already on that side. I've disliked the revenge genre for quite some time. I have found 
uh, these action films, these incredibly violent films, uh, going back to that David Foster Wallace quote, where we might as well be fitted for togas when we're watching these films. Um, I found the violence of these films to be deeply disturbing. And I've always made the argument that it is much better to have your your children watch a film in which violence has consequences than to have your children watch a film in which violence does not have consequences because it sends the wrong message about the uh, feasibility, applicability, and um, necessity of violence. This film is interrogating those, those concepts in really interesting and provoking ways. I think there are moments of the film when it does drift into torture violence porn, um, even as it is criticizing torture violence porn. But at the same time, I, 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 I'm on this film's side in its uh, uh, um, relationship to those. So, um, so that's my one criticism is that there are times when I felt that it was a little too torture violence porny. Um, I'm going to give my first out of 10 rather than out of five, um, uh, rating for a film. Normally I go, uh, four stars or five stars. And I find that, uh, four stars or four and a half stars. Um, this time, this film, I'm going to give, um, an eight and a half. So that's a four star and a quarter. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to give a, a high rating to this film, four stars and a quarter or eight and a half. Um, because I think it's exceptionally well made, and I'm I'm I really love the uh, the way in which this film is interacting with films that I really despise, and the way this film, as a film, is criticizing the films that I really just don't like, and uh, so that's why that's why I'm giving it an eight and a half um, out of uh, out of ten. Uh, so. That is eight and a half, eight and a half wax to the groin out of 10. Love it. Eight and a half wax to the groin. I've been giving it a full Fellini is what I'm giving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the crazy thing is, so we, we've been, all of the criticisms we've been giving of, of sort of the genre, I feel like there's quite a few of them that are going to come out when we do our film uh, in two weeks. I'm not sure if it's going to be next Sunday or two weeks. So check out, this is more of a reason if you're watching and you're in chat. Uh, check out our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'll post an update to the schedule. I think I'd set it up for next week. We may do it in two weeks. So just check our our, our social media. But um, we're gonna be doing seven where we will be discussing, you know, basically one philosophical question throughout that entire movie. And that is what's in the box? You know, what's, no, no. It's my dick in no, the no. box. Yeah, yeah. What's <laughs> What's in? the box so anyway uh yeah join us uh in a week or two weeks i'll i'll update social media on that um and uh, I, i'm curious to see if some of the criticisms that we've been leveling i, I granted seven is by far it, not really a revenge film i'm gonna wait till next week before i talk anymore guys uh love y'all check out our social media um and we will see you guys uh in uh, potentially one or two weeks for seven uh thanks for joining it was great seeing you guys as always and uh we'll see you guys in the future peace See you.